Welcome back to the Jake Beckett Show. I'm your host, Jake Beckett. Back for another great episode this week. Very excited to bring this one to you. It's the next in our series, Great Men of History. And you may be able to guess this one. Uh, I've always mentioned the three great conquerors of history. We've done Julius Caesar. We've done Napoleon Bonaparte. But the one who started it all, that is today's Alexander the Great. Now, why Alexander? Well, as you heard in both the Caesar and Napoleon episodes, Alexander was an inspiration for both of those great warriors. Uh, I told the story about Caesar seeing the statue of Alexander when Caesar was a young man, and he broke down weeping at the sight of this statue. He saw Alexander and thought of his all of his great accomplishments by his early 30s, and there was Caesar, this uh, administrator, this tax collector in Spain, and uh, this this statue of Alexander inspired him to reach higher and work harder, and Napoleon had a similar experience as a young man. He always dreamed of going east and conquering a vast empire, uh, as Alexander did. So uh, Alexander really he really started it all. And so who was Alexander? Um, you know what motivated him? What did he do? Uh, and, and to start with all that, you have to understand the time that Alexander lived in. Alexander was born. In the year 356 BC, uh, he was the son of the king of Macedon, of Macedonia, Philip II. And 356 BC, this was about 130, 140 years after uh, the, the first great invasion of Greece by the Persian Empire under Xerxes. You've all seen the movie 300. This was the, the, the great stand of, of Leonidas and his 300 Spartans at the gates of Thermopylae. Um, but ultimately the Persians were defeated, um, and they were turned back, and this launched a, a long um, golden age of Greece, of philosophy, of architecture. I mean, there were always squabbles between the various city-states, um, but, but Greece had a real flourishing after they turned away uh, the barbarian hordes from the east, the Persians. Um, but the, the Persians were still a, a, a vast empire. They were somewhat on the decline, uh, but the Macedon- Macedonians were on the rise. Philip II was a very talented king. He was a very talented warrior, and um, and his son was Alexander. So Alexander, uh, the the story was told um, of of him growing up as a boy. Uh, he, as a young kid, he bought a horse from this traveling horse trader, and this horse was wild. It was unable to be tamed, and Ale- when, when Alexander just jumped on top of it, this horse instantly took to him. It o- obeyed his commands. Uh, and King Philip was was so impressed. Uh, he said, "Son, your your destiny is far greater than Macedonia. Macedonia is too small for you. You will have to create your own empire." And as a matter of fact, that horse uh, was named Bucephalus, and Bucephalus carried Alexander throughout all of his conquests. Bucephalus died, I think, a couple of years before Alexander did. Um, but anyway, Alexander was tutored. Uh, Philip arranged for the the great Greek philosopher Aristotle to personally tutor his son, Alexander. Uh, he was able to convince Aristotle of this uh, because he had previously uh, sacked and burned down Aristotle's hometown and enslaved all of its citizens. He promised Aristotle that if he tutored his son, Alexander, he would rebuild Aristotle's hometown and free all of the slaves, uh, which he ended up doing. So, you know, here was a man who um, was the, the son of a king, the heir apparent, uh, tutored by Aristotle himself. Uh, he was seasoned in battle, uh, by the age of 20, when his father, King Philip, as he was preparing this massive invasion of Persia, Philip was assassinated by his own bodyguards, um, egged on by some Macedonian nobles. That was kind of a feature 
of Greek life in those days, and so Alexander ascended to the throne uh, in the wake of his father's assassination at the age of 20 in 336 BC. So Alexander, this is where the first evidence of his ruthlessness um, was, was really made apparent, um, which was a feature um, that, that became prominent throughout Alexander's life. Uh, upon ascending to the throne, he had to establish himself, and what better way to do that than by executing um, a lot of the uh, current nobility, uh, all the bodyguards who had conspired against his father. Uh, he also decided to invade um, some, uh, some other Greek city-states to, to let them know that a new sheriff was in town, which is exactly what happened. The city-state of Athens surrendered to Alexander. The city-state of Thebes did not. And in response, uh, Alexander burned Thebes to the ground uh, to set a, uh, a rather poignant example to the rest of the Greek uh, city-states, what would happen if they defied him. And it worked, because uh, during all of Alexander's conquests, um, his home kingdom remained relatively peaceful. I mean, there were some minor uprisings, but um, you know, he had to secure his rear as he was about to go off uh, on this massive invasion in the east. And what better way to do that than by uh, destroying a few Greek city-states before you head out, uh, which is what he did. So um, Alexander uh, started his invasion of, of Persia um, just after uh, his 20th, I believe it was his 21st birthday. And, and just a bit about the Greek army. What was the Greek army? How did it work? So Alexander invaded Persia with about 40,000 men. Um, the, the core of his army were about 10,000 elite infantrymen that carried a, a very long spear. It was about 18 feet long. Um, they were trained from, from a very young age and how to utilize this spear effectively. Um, and and there, I mean, this was really the, the main innovation of, of the Macedonians, of the Greeks. And it was, it was something that the Persians and really the rest of the world simply didn't have an answer for. Um, really until the Romans figured out how to defeat it with their legions uh, you know, a couple of hundred years later. Um, and and these, these men, these, spear, these elite spearmen, uh, infantrymen, were, t were packed into a very tight 16-deep formation uh, that was called the phalanx. You've probably heard of that. Um, and that was the core of Alexander's military. Um, the core of his army was this center formation uh, called the phalanx of 10,000 elite, highly trained, and hardcore infantrymen. Now, this formation was, was really impenetrable, but it was vulnerable at the flanks um, and at the rear. So he had to protect it. And to, to protect his flanks, he used um, you know, lesser uh, infantrymen known as hoplites. Uh, he used skirmishers who had swords, uh, slings, rocks, arrows, uh, archers. Um, and then the other um, elite element of his military was his cavalry um, on the, the way that Alexander, Alexander was kind of like an offensive coordinator or a head coach who always used the same formation, if that makes any sense. He, he really, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, was kind of his philosophy when it came to um, tactics on the battlefield. He always simply, he always kind of used the same strategy when, when he was engaging an enemy. He would line up his phalanx right in the middle, um, and then on the left, he would put his um, his best and most experienced commander to be in a in a really a defensive posture. This man's name was uh, Parmenian, and um, he 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 used Parmenian almost like Napoleon used Marshal Davout, his best marshal, um, who was just rock solid. Uh, Napoleon called him the Iron Duke um, or the Iron Marshal, and Parmenian was Alexander's Iron General. 
Um, and so he used him in, in a defensive posture on the left flank. And then Alexander uh, fought personally with the offensive weapon of his army, the companion cavalry, these mounted shock troops who were always on the right flank. And so uh, if you can imagine Alexander's army, um, really his, his, he, was, he was very aggressive. He was almost always engaging the Persians from the offensive mindset. Um, and he would use his companion cavalry, which he, of course, led from the front. He always fought with the companion cavalry. I mean, c contrast that to some of these modern commanders or, you know, someone even like uh, General Dwight Eisenhower, who never heard gunfire during the entirety of World War II. Alexander fought at the head of his troops, um, and he used the companion cavalry, which he was leading personally, as kind of the right hook um, that, that he used uh, to engage his enemies. So all of his battles were fought. Um, with, with that general tactical concept in mind. So I, th I think you, it's, it's good to understand that. So the invasion of Persia, the first battle, uh, the first engagement with the, uh, with the Persians was the Battle of Granicus. Um, uh, at this time, the Persians still had, uh, they, they hired a lot of Greek mercenaries to fight in their army. They had a couple of Greek uh, commanders who they paid to train uh, and lead their armies. Um, the, the Persians... Um, you know, they wanted to fight. They wanted to make a stand early. That was probably not the best strategy. Um, and they were, they were routed at the Battle of Granicus. Um, Alexander then marched on uh, to the, uh, the Syrian um, city of, of Gordium. And, um, you know, there, uh, legend has it, there was a giant knot uh, that was in the, in the town square. So imagine this just massive... Uh, not made up of rope and yarn and all that. And there was this legend that the, the man who could untie or unravel the Gordian knot would be the ruler of all Asia. And Alexander, he marches into Gordium and he sees this giant knot. And someone tells him, oh, hey, if you can unravel this knot, you'll be the ruler of Asia. Of course, Alexander just takes out his sword, hacks the knot in half. Um, and so that was, his, that was how he, he cut the Gordian knot. Um, it's a, it's, it's kind of a metaphor for the way he approached life, uh, and a certain uh, tactic for approaching, uh, certain complicated issues, uh, in, in all circumstances. At the end of the day, might makes right, as uh, is, is the header on my Twitter page now, the strong do what they can, the weak suffer what they must. So moving on. Uh, so at the Battle of Issus was where King Darius of, of Persia was first present, um, and um, as Alexander was kind of moving south through Syria um, along the coast, um, Darius appeared kind of out of nowhere in his rear, and he, he stationed himself between Alexander and his lines of supply and communication back to Greece and put Alexander uh, in kind of a do-or-die situation. But again, Alexander used that formation that I described. Um, and the Persians, they were, they were a, a vast superpower, but they were, they were no match for Alexander and his phalanx. Um, and for his cavalry and just for his overall aggression. Uh, Darius fled the battlefield. He lived to fight another day, um, but he left behind his wife, his mother, and a few of his children who Alexander captured and actually treated quite well. Uh, but by the way, a side note, if you want to do your own research, uh, I highly recommend reading Plutarch's Lives. Um, his, his work on Alexander is phenomenal. Uh, that's where I'm getting most of my source material for, for Alexander the Great. There's other sources out there. Alexander had a historian who traveled with him uh, along his conquest until Alexander unceremoniously threw him in prison. Um, but, but Plutarch is probably the best source material for, for Alexander. So after his victory at the Battle of Issus, Alexander moved south 
into Egypt. Egypt was something of a fallen uh, kingdom at this point. Um, they, they really gave up without much of a fight. Um, Alexander founded, you guessed it, the great city of Alexandria, one of 14 different Alexandrias that he, at least 14 separate Alexandrias that he founded along his conquest. Um, he uh, installed a new dynasty, the Ptolemaic dynasty of Egypt, which lasted for several hundred years until uh, Caesar Augustus ended that dynasty. Um, but so he, he essentially established a new uh, Hellenic uh, Ptolemaic dynasty as, as the new pharaohs in Egypt. And he also did something interesting. Um, he, he went out to the ancient Egyptian holy city of Siwa, and he, he, he at least pretended to pay homage to the Egyptian gods there and uh, you know, consult the, the religious leaders um, so they would bless him and, and his new dynasty, which, you know, if you're going to be a conqueror, it might not be a bad idea to adopt uh, some of the customs of the, of, the, uh, of, the, of the conquered areas to at least gain their allegiance. Um, and we'll, we'll see some of that and its consequences later as he conquered Persia. So anyway, after, after Siwa, um, he continued his journey deeper and deeper into central Persia, and Darius, uh, the king of Persia, made his final stand at the Battle of Gogamela, where once again he was absolutely annihilated by Alexander. Um, Darius did escape once again, but he was eventually assassinated by his personal bodyguard in an effort to make peace with Alexander. Um, even though Alexander was out number two to one in the Battle of Gogamela once again, uh, the ancient world really at that time had no answer for the Greek phalanx. Um, and so they were, they were somewhat of an unstoppable force. Um, the Persians had chariots, they had, they had mounted men, they had infantry, they had archers. Uh, but the phalanx was, was an innovation with their spear uh, in, in addition to the companion cavalry that just the ancient world really didn't have. Uh, they were just simply unable to defeat, and that lasted for over 100 years afterwards as well. So Alexander, after uh, uh, defeating Darius once and for all at Gaugamela, uh, he then advanced into the, uh, the ancient city of Babylon. Um, he, he captured Babylon peacefully, um, and he, he wanted to preserve a lot of the treasures there um, and be respectful to uh, his ancient foe. Uh, but then he kind of changed his mind um, as he moved further east uh, when he approached the, the, the spiritual capital, if you will, of, of Persia, the city of Persepolis, they decided to put up somewhat of a fight, um, and he allowed his army to sack, loot, and destroy the city of Persepolis. And really at that point um, is when Alexander's true ruthless nature uh, began to, to manifest itself. At this time, he, he was several years into this invasion, um, and you know there, there were uh, some... some some grumblings within the ranks um, that, that accelerated over time. Um, there, there was a conspiracy uh, to have Alexander assassinated. Um, one of uh, so Alexander's most trusted general, Parmenian, uh, was left behind to be a governor of a, of a province as Alexander advanced uh, further east. And one of Parmenian's sons um, learned about this conspiracy to assassinate Alexander crucially failed to warn Alexander. He kept silent. When Alexander later found out about it, he, you know, you know, it's a question, you know, what do you do? Do you forgive and forget? Do you uh, issue some kind of a punishment? Um, do, do you meet them halfway? Well, he had Philetus executed, um, and then he sent assassins to go execute Parmenian, 
uh, Philotus's father and Alexander's most trusted general uh, before Parmenion could find out about his son's execution and rise up against Alexander. So within a stroke, Alexander had executed his best general and one of his best general sons, but it worked. Uh, it quelled other uh, rebellions for several years within his army, and he was able to move on. So it just goes to show you just how things were handled in those in those days, um, and just how ruthless um, Alexander was. Um, but once again, it worked. So he he moved further and further east as the years went by. I mean, he was essentially uh, ten years into his invasion at this point. Uh, Alexander was about thirty years old. And as he moved further and further east and deeper and deeper into Persia, um, and he amalgamated more and more of the Persian Empire into his own, uh, he adopted more of the Persian customs. He, he started to take on some Persian advisors. He started to marry some uh, uh, daughters of Persian nobles, um, took them as wives. Um, and he, he even uh, tried to get his men to adopt some Persian customs like falling prostrate before him. So in the Persian Empire, um, like if you've, if you've ever seen 300, the way they, they, they would fall flat on their face and prostrate themselves before their king, Alexander liked that, and he thought that, they should, that the Greeks should do that for him. Uh, they thought differently. They thought that was blasphemous. That was only the kind of treatment that a god um, would, would command. Um, and so there, was, there were some mutinous rumblings in the ranks. And uh, ultimately, as Alexander pushed further and further east, to the very uh, edge of, of India itself, at the edge of the known world, uh, was when his men finally had enough. They, they finally mutinied, uh, said, we're not going any further. Alexander was absolutely furious, um, but he realized that he had pushed his men to their limits. Um, you know, there are other theories about why he actually stopped. He was, um, you know, many of the Greek philosophers and historians thought that the river Ganges in India was actually the edge of the world, that if you went further, you would fall off the edge of the world. Obviously, men didn't know in those days that the, that the earth was round. Um, and so there was just the, the fear of the unknown. Um, but at the end of the day, his army wouldn't follow him one step further, and he decided to turn south um, on his way back. Um, he, he actually uh, disembarked a portion of his army, and they built ships um, that sailed up through... Um, the, uh, the, the, the strait there, um, you know, into, uh, into the Mediterranean, um, you know, that was, it was one of the great exploratory naval journeys of all time, which is really almost forgotten. I mean, just so much about this expedition was, was revolutionary and, and just, he was doing things that had never been done before. So Alexander, um, at the completion of his conquest, he really, um, decided to start administering his new empire in the East. Um, he set himself up in Babylon, and um, he, he, he amalgamated a, a certain um, administration that the, the Persians had done. The Persians, uh, King Darius, had ruled his empire through uh, certain provincial governors called satraps. Uh, Alexander, he, he liked that idea, and he essentially just set up his own men, his own commanders, his own nobles um, as the new satraps um, from his new cities that he had founded. And he set himself up in Babylon um, because it wasn't destroyed, and he, um, you know, he started to receive uh, emissaries, kings, nobles, philosophers from all over the world, who came to pay him homage, uh, part out of respect, part out of fear, uh, part to bribe him into not invading their countries. Um, and then, at the age of 32, in 323 BC, Alexander suddenly fell ill. Uh, and he died only a few days later 
after this very sudden illness. Uh, some people uh, have theorized that he died of malaria, of cholera, of some kind of uh, eastern disease. Um, but of course, many uh, people think that he was, he was poisoned, he was assassinated, he was murdered, um, which would not have been um, the, the most shocking thing in the world, especially in those days. Uh, Alexander's own father, Philip, if you recall, he was, he was assassinated by his own bodyguard. Uh, but whatever it was, Alexander was dead. And I love this, this, this vignette um, that is told Alexander on his deathbed, uh, half delirious uh, with, with whatever illness was uh, be, begetting him. His advisors were huddled around him and they were asking him, you know, Alexander, who, who's your successor? Who gets to rule your empire? Uh, who, is, who is your heir? Uh, you know, who, who, to whom does your uh, empire, is, is it bequested? And Alexander's response was, to the strongest, uh, kind of a, an ambiguous, uh, an ambiguous term there, uh, ambiguous phrase. To the strongest, but certainly keeping uh, keeping in character with with Alexander himself. Uh, so he he died at the age of thirty two. And one of the great mysteries of history is what happened to his sarcophagus. He was placed in this giant golden sarcophagus that was taken to Alexandria. Um, the, the sarcophagus was never found. Uh, his body was never found. There are. There are, there are people who say the sarcophagus was found, um, that his body was moved, that the sarcophagus was melted down into coins. But again, one of the, it, no one knows what, what happened to Alexander's body, uh, what happened to his golden sarcophagus. Um, obviously, Alexandria was, was devastated and burned, um, and perhaps uh, his sarcophagus was taken as loot during those episodes. Um, but Alexander's his body and his sarcophagus, it, they're vanished, and it was a great mystery of history. Um, Alexander's empire, um, really his empire was subdivided into his, uh, by his various satraps. The Persian empire was never the same. Um, but what Alexander's conquest did do was it, it really unleashed a new Hellenic age. Um, you know, the, the Greeks had, had an outsized influence over the ancient world, uh, from the time of Alexander's death in 323 BC, really into the rise of Rome, um, for the next couple of hundred years until the Romans rose, uh, in prominence, um, uh, the Greeks, the Macedonians had free reign. And as I mentioned before, uh, until the, the Roman legions uh, discovered how to break the phalanx, the Greeks uh, were predominant. And so you know, mu much of what we um, uh, know today in terms of philosophy, the ancient writings, the, the classics, everything from Plato, Aristotle, Socrates, all of the the great thinkers, everything that has really been a foundation of, of our government itself here in the United States, um, you know, that really all is a function of the Greeks' ability to defeat the Persians in battle to establish their own empire. And of course, much of the credit for that goes to Alexander the Great. So he certainly deserves his place among the great conquerors of history. Again, I put him in that triumvirate of uh, himself, Julius Caesar, and Napoleon Bonaparte. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. I encourage you once again to, to read more about Alexander. Go, go read Plutarch's Lives of the Ancients. Um, it has great uh, biographies, not just of Alexander, but of many of the, uh, of the great Greeks uh, and Romans, their, their stories of, of conquest, of, of political rule. Uh, I promise you'll enjoy it. So make sure to like this podcast, share it, give us a five-star review. Uh, I'll, I'll post these episodes on Twitter so you can find them there. Uh, and until next time, I hope you enjoyed the Jake Beckett Show podcast. Mm -hmm.